man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's Wednesday, September 12, and I can't remember the last time I was sitting here in my chair at my desk in the world headquarters of ProFootballTalk.com by myself doing the PFTPM podcast, mainly because the last eight days have been a complete and total blur. Just a complete and total blur, and I love it. I love what I do. I just know that the first week of the season every year is going to be a complete and total blur. Especially because the four or five days before the blur starts are also a blur, because it really hits the fan after the final preseason games. The games that nobody cares about, once they end, then the teams start to look at their rosters and pare down from 90 to 53. That Saturday, all hell broke loose as the rosters were cut. It continued into Sunday. High activity Monday. Tuesday, finished PFT Live and straight to Philadelphia for meetings in advance of the regular season opener. Did PFT Live at NBC Sports Philadelphia. Thanks again to them for their hospitality. It was a great facility for doing the show on the road. Every time we take the show on the road, you never quite know what you're going to get until you get there. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes great would not be the word that I would use to describe it this time. Great, great accommodations. And we did Wednesday, Thursday, Friday there, Wednesday night meetings. And and all, all the while, right, everything is spinning and whirring and posts are, are being generated over and over again as the start of the regular season approaches and the traffic is up and people are knocking on the door and they're demanding fresh content and it gets into Thursday and and all hell breaks loose as the season begins and then that Friday after looking back and obsessing over that one game that we got to enjoy and I got to travel home that weekend usually I don't for Friday was home for 24 hours and it was a great 24 hours and I was back at it week one it's all hell breaking loose again hell's broken loose three times for me in the last 15 days so uh, and then Monday, the day after, just it just never stops. And then the Monday night doubleheader into Tuesday with power rankings and reaction. And this is the first afternoon that I feel like I've been able to take a breath in at least 12 days. And I took a nice little nap because five hours has been the default sleep the past few nights. Took a little nap, got up, did a radio spot with my friends at WIP in Philly. I'm going to be on there with John Marks and Ike Reese every Wednesday at 3.35 p.m. Eastern and then can tape this right afterward. We had Carson Palmer earlier today. And if you didn't hear yesterday's PFTPM podcast, I mean, I, I, I probably should promote our stuff more than I do. Yesterday's was great because Chris Harris Jr. was great. And Adrian Peterson, which just kind of fell out of the sky for us, like we weren't trying to actively get him we especially in in in-season mode i mean guys are busy and on tuesday they're off and a lot of these guys they they have they have people who who try to put them on shows to give them a chance to showcase themselves talk a little bit about whatever they're promoting with adrian peterson there's an auction coming up of his custom-made cleats to commemorate his 100th touchdown but it just fell out of the sky it's like well adrian peterson it's like Oh my God! So my first thought was, oh God, I got enough to do today. I got to, I got to figure out questions for Adrian Peterson. We don't even know whether or not we're going to get him. And I just didn't even worry about it. I was too busy. And then, boom, there it came. And it was one of the most fun interviews I ever did because, and and I guess the more you do this, and it's been seven or eight years now where I've been actively interviewing people on a regular basis. Number one, the more you do it, the easier it gets without having to prep 
I mean, there's some basic biographical stuff that you'll want to know. But for a guy like Adrian Peterson, like, man, you got a chance to talk to one of the all-time greats. And if you follow football, even on a skim-the-surface level, you you can come up with some questions for one of the all-time great running backs who has had yet another career resurgence. And and the conversation with him was was one of the more fun that I've had. I don't want to take any away from Chris Harris Jr. That was a fun conversation, too. But I knew that one was coming. I didn't know the Peterson one was coming. And when it was over, it's like, damn. Maybe I should like have no idea who I'm interviewing and when all the time. Maybe I should tell the producers, just like call me like five minutes before and tell me who it is. Or, or maybe the right approach is just call me five minutes before and say, you have an interview, go get up in your studio position. And then they tell me when they put the guy on the line who it is. I, I, it may be better that way. I don't know. I'm going to consider that. All right. I spent the last seven minutes talking about uh, my last two weeks. Not that any of you really give a shit, but uh, this is my first. It's a great feeling. You know, when you've been really busy and I, I can compare it to like going through a trial when I was practicing law. And I guess people like who, who are accountants and once they get through tax day, like you finally get a chance to exhale a little bit. And it's a good feeling. And, and that's what today's been, you, you know, you re, you fight and you fight and you fight through it and I enjoy it, but, but it becomes a little physically and mentally demanding. It's just nice to get to a point where you can just kind of go, ah, a normal day, how you take for granted, what a great pleasure a normal day is. Never get bored on a normal day. Normal day is a good day. It's a good to just a normal, no, normal days are overrated. Normal days, you just, you feel good and you take care of your business and maybe you get some time to hang out with your family and watch some TV. It's just a nice feeling to have a normal day, especially after you've had like 12 abnormal days. All right. Abnormal times for the Green Bay Packers. By the way, I think I mentioned Carson Palmer coming up. So I'm going to talk for a little while. I'm going to throw it to the Carson Palmer interview that we taped this morning. And then I'll answer some questions on the back end. Aaron Rodgers met with the media today. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. Chris Sims. That's the first time he heard, he's saying that on air. I'm like, we got to get rid of this guy. You can't. It's ridiculous. That's stupid. Don't sing that. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. And it's like by Menon, right? After three or four times, I got, oh, Aaron Rodgers in my head. So now anytime I think of Aaron Rodgers, I think of dopey Chris Sims singing, Oh, Aaron Rodgers, you are the greatest quarterback who ever played the game. And you're playing on one leg, and you're still better than anyone else who plays on two. And I think that's what he's going to do on Sunday. My dog's barking. My dog hears the singing, and my dog's, like, barking. <laughs> and I don't, think it's, I don't think it's complimentary barking. Anyway, I think he's going to play Sunday. I think he is. He, he says the knee feels a little better each day. That was one of the takeaways from his midweek press conference. He says he doesn't need to practice to play. Well, that's a shock. Of course he doesn't need to practice to play. The guy's one of the best in the game. Just go out and do it. Just go out and do it. Get rid of the ball quickly. Throw it to the open man. It's not that complicated when you've been doing it for the past 15 years. And he also pointed out that he's been playing with left knee issues since he was 16 years old. He had surgery at 20, and he had surgery again after the 2015 season. That's a little bit of an oversell because... He's had great mobility as a quarterback, and you take away that mobility, and the point I've been making all week, it's like when someone loses their eyesight, their hearing improves. 
And I think when you take away Aaron Rodgers' mobility, his throwing improves because he knows it has to improve. And he knew that he had to get rid of the ball more quickly. You know, the Seahawks should be happy that they got to witness what Aaron Rodgers did because all week long, if I'm the Seahawks, I'm working with Russell Wilson to get rid of the ball quickly so Khalil Mack is not swallowing me alive. Because that neutralized the Bears' pass rush. Now, it's easier said than done. You got to get guys who can get open quickly. You got to trust that they're open. See, one of the few flaws in Russell Wilson's game, I don't know that he's all that willing to fire the ball into coverage. I think he wants his guys a little more open than that. I think that's one of the reasons why Jimmy Graham never was was fully utilized during his time with Seattle because he's one of those guys where he looks covered, but he's not. You just got to trust that he's going to go get it. So we'll see. Now, Rogers also said it's accurate to call what happened to his knee a sprain. Sprain's a misleading term. Sprain sounds like, oh, it's no big deal. It's just a sprain. Anytime you injure a ligament, the ligament is sprained. If it is torn, it's still sprained. It's a grade one or two or three sprain of the ligament. The question is, which ligament? I mean, if the ACL is completely torn, it technically is sprained. The thing that continues to fascinate me, and who knows whether or not any of this is true, but the comment that Rogers made after Sunday night's game that the doctors thought he couldn't make it any worse. Well, how many conditions of the knee are there that you can't make any worse? Surely you can always do more damage. And and even, like, I thought, okay, well, if the ACL's torn, you can't make it any worse. But if the ACL's torn, you can do other damage to the knee because the knee's not stable. And if it caves in with or without a brace and the knee starts moving in ways it shouldn't, you can damage surrounding ligaments and tissue. So I, I don't buy that he can't do any more damage to it. Now, I wonder whether or not he'd be playing or even thinking about playing if he didn't have his contract. Would he have come back in the game on Sunday night if he didn't have his contract? Would he be thinking about playing on Sunday against the Vikings if he didn't have his contract? I think there's an argument to be made that Aaron Rodgers' position, if he didn't have his deal, would be, I'm not playing on this. I got one year left on my contract. I got no security beyond 2019. Nope, you should have signed me to a long-term deal. This is why you should have done it. You didn't do it, so too bad I'm not playing. And no one could blame him for not playing. No one could blame him for not playing. He's hobbling out there on one leg. That's what makes what he did even more amazing. What he did on Sunday night was one of the games that I'll never forget. As long as I live, and hopefully I live a little longer. A lot longer. And many more. Oh, Aaron Rodgers. Damn Chris Sims. All right, what else is going on in the National Football League? I see that Martavis Bryant officially back with the Oakland Raiders. And I talked about this earlier today on PFT Live. And I wrote about this back when Josh Gordon had his delayed arrival to training camp and the reporters and the team and everybody's trying to make it look like this is just Josh Gordon. The league has no input in this. And it was clear the league did because when he came back, he wasn't cleared to practice or play by the league. Well, wait a minute. If this is all something that Josh Gordon is doing on his own, he doesn't need anyone's permission to practice or play. See, and I think what's going on here and the league will never admit it because I think the league wants to retain the ability to change its course and be 
overly aggressive with the substance abuse policy when it wants to. In past years, the league's attitude toward players under any of these policies is, we've got the power, you gave us that power as part of the collective bargaining process, and we are going to take full advantage of our power. And if you want us to give up that power, you better go to the bargaining table and make a concession. So, you know, from the moment Roger Goodell became the commissioner, and I've said this before, agents started saying to me, these people won't do deals anymore. Like, there's no reasonableness here. They want the maximum penalty that they can impose under the various policies, and they'll do it. Period. Well, you know what I think's happened? And they're not going to admit this. And they're not doing this for altruistic reasons. I don't think they had any sort of epiphany and a desire to help out their fellow man. I think they realized, you know what? It's kind of stupid for us to take full advantage of our ability to run off great players. We should be welcoming great players. Great players make the game great. Great players make the games more compelling. You have a great receiver like Josh Gordon who can run down the sideline and catch a contested pass for a touchdown and tie up a game that looked like it was lost. That's good. We want that. Roger Goodell has said in the past, who's he root for? He roots for the team that's trailing. You want the team that's trailing to have a chance to tie up the game. And if you start running off guys like Josh Gordon and Martavis Bryant, well, it's harder to do that. You know, football has that attitude of, hey, there's always more where that guy came from, right? It's like when Homer Simpson started losing his hair. Oh, there's plenty more where that came from. Yeah, at a certain point, you run out of hair. At a certain point, you run out of players. And at a time when they're concerned about existential threats to the league, like 20 years from now, all the great athletes doing something other than playing football. And when they're concerned in the short term about ratings, why in the hell do you want to keep guys from playing who would be playing very well? Why do you want to do that? So I got to give the league credit. And it's bizarre that they won't take the credit. Like they're being very secretive about one of the smartest moves they've made in years. Maybe it's so alien to them to actually make a smart move. They don't know how to deal with it. It's like somebody who never gets a compliment getting a compliment. You don't know what to do. Uh, oh, 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 really? Oh, you like my hat? Uh, okay. So bravo, NFL. Whatever your reasoning. And I think I know what it is. I think it's selfish. I think you're helping yourself by helping these guys. But keep this in mind, Martavis Bryant, Randy Gregory, Josh Gordon, once you have been banished for a year, once you're back in, you're in stage three for the rest of your career, one false move is supposed to be another banishment for a minimum of a year. And they apparently are making exceptions for guys like Martavis Bryant, Josh Gordon, and Randy Gregory, period. If it's true, if Shefty is telling the truth that Randy Gregory had a relapse, this is information we're not supposed to have. And the Cowboys won't talk about it. But if it's true he had a relapse, there's no discretion there as the policy is written. The NFL has the ability and arguably the obligation to toss these guys out of the league. And maybe one of the reasons why the NFL isn't admitting that that's what it's doing. Big picture, I think it does raise integrity of the game, competitive balance concerns if in past years. Like, for example, the Jaguars should have Justin Blackman in his prime right now if maybe the league had been a little more willing to help Justin Blackman when he was going through the same issues that guys like Gregory Bryant and Gordon are going through. 
Imagine how much better the Jaguars would be right now if they had Justin Blackman in his prime. He was drafted the same year that Josh Gordon was, and when Justin Blackman played, he was pretty damn good. If I'm Justin Blackman right now, I'm getting myself back in shape, and I'm saying, hey, NFL, if you're giving out free passes, right, if you're all of a sudden willing to help guys that uh, like to drink a little bit and smoke a little bit, well, why aren't you helping me? I still want to play. So I think it's the right attitude. I support it. Whatever the uh, whatever the reason. And again, it's not selfless. It's selfish. But sometimes the selfish decision is the right decision. The, every time I look at a story about the Buccaneers now, it's like another guy's injured. JPP is banged up. Vernon Hargraves is on IR. Deshaun Jackson has a concussion as well as a shoulder problem. Brent Grimes has a groin injury, although he didn't play in that rollicking 48-40 win over the Saints. But... I'd be concerned about not having Jackson. You take one of those great skill position players out of the mix, and it, it may be more difficult to stymie the Eagles' defense. And I think the Eagles' defense, and again, it's the Eagles who are playing in Tampa on Sunday, that Eagles' defense is better than people realize, and I don't think it's getting the credit that it deserves for the Week 1 win over the Falcons. Last point, Josh Allen starting to play starting the game on Sunday when the Chargers come to town. Nathan Peterman will not have PTSD as he sees the lightning bolts on the helmets again. That was the team that picked him off five times in a half. Sean McDermott says he'll go to his grave believing that the right decision last week was to play Nathan Peterman. Yeah, the idea was to keep Josh Allen alive. They couldn't throw Josh Allen to the woods or the Wolves, as the case may be. The Woods, the Wolves. There's Wolves in the Woods, so that's close enough. Josh Allen gets the start against the Chargers, and behind that offensive line, I don't know whether it's going to make a difference. We saw some good mobility from Josh Allen in the preseason. Maybe we'll see some more of that. We're going to need to see some more of that this weekend. And I, I just, it amazes me how much a playoff team has fallen off. And there's a chance that the Bills are still decent and just the Ravens are great. Let, let's not rule out the possibility that the Ravens are just great. So maybe maybe that's something we'll learn as the remaining weeks shake out and week two coming up begins Thursday night with the Ravens and the Bengals getting together. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll come out of that game if the Ravens completely obliterate the Bengals, saying, hey, maybe maybe the, the Bills don't suck as badly as we initially believed. All right. I think that's enough before we let you hear what Carson Palmer had to say. And Carson Palmer's a guy that when he was playing, I, I always heard he was a big PFT guy. So I always wanted to get him on the show, and, and we never were able to work it out. And I don't know why, but we were never able to work it out. But Carson Palmer now... Not playing, got a little more free time, and also he is involved with the FedEx Air and Ground program. So, without further ado, my conversation from earlier today with former NFL quarterback Carson Palmer. 
Quarterback Carson Palmer may be retired from the NFL, but he has a gig this year. Spokesperson of the FedEx Air and Ground NFL program for the entire season. It will provide support to the USO. 16th season of the Air and Ground program. Fans can vote each year on the best quarterback and running back performances via poll on the NFL Twitter or Facebook page and at NFL.com slash FedEx. $2,000 donation to the USO in both the winning quarterback and running back's name each week of the regular season with a total of 4000 each week. Carson Palmer joins us now. Carson, welcome. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. And, and uh, the best part about the, the program is the money goes to the USO programs, which help our, our retired servicemen and women uh, transition back into civilian life. So it's a, uh, it's a, it's a fun thing to be a part of because we can all vote. I know this week I'm voting for, for Ryan Fitzpatrick for the FedEx Air Player of the Week. And, and my vote's got to go to, to Saquon Barkley for the FedEx Ground Player of the Week. And that uh, that money will go to great use. How do you pick Fitzpatrick over Aaron Rodgers, though? Because for me, Fitzpatrick, no-brainer. But after we saw what Aaron Rodgers did Sunday night on one leg in the second half, that's a tough call for me between Fitzpatrick and Rodgers. Yeah, it's not for me. Fitzy's my boy. I played with him for a handful of years in Cincinnati, and uh, he's a good friend of mine. And, and he's, he's one of my top two or three favorite quarterbacks to watch. He plays like a linebacker. He tries to run over safeties and, and run through people. He can absolutely spin it. He can take off and run on you and scramble for first downs. He's just so much fun to watch for me. When did you come to the realization when playing with him that this guy had some real NFL skills? It didn't take long. I mean, I, I, uh, when he got traded, he got traded from St. Louis. He ended up starting a couple games as a, as a rookie uh, when Mark Bolger got hurt in St. Louis, and I think he was like a, maybe an undrafted or fourth or fifth, sixth round pick, something like that. And I saw his game footage when he was in St. Louis and just running all over the place, making making plays. Uh, and then he got to Cincinnati and, and turned out to be one of my favorite teammates ever. And the guy is just an absolute blast to be be around and, and having a in a quarterback meeting room day in day out. And, uh, like I said, I, I love watching him play. He's absolutely fearless on the football field. And, you know, one thing that I remember about when he was traded from St. Louis to Cincinnati, he told the story after the fact that he learned he was traded by reading it at profootballtalk.com. So that was how we first became aware of Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he's been around a long time. You know, there's still quarterbacks out there older than you that are playing. How hard was it for you to watch on Sunday and and not be in the fray with with, uh, your teammates and knowing that there are other guys out there that have been doing it uh, as long as you've been doing it, and they they are still doing it, not hard. I mean, I I, uh, I, I love the game. I love watching it. Uh, I expected, I don't know, to I guess to kind of have a big hole or a big missing piece as I sat there and watched it. But as I watched it and as Sunday went on, I, I enjoyed watching the games. I enjoyed watching uh, ex teammates or guys that I played against and, and really respect. Uh, enjoyed you know being a fan and, and watching it from that standpoint. You know, I, the Sundays are great, and, and obviously you miss playing the game, but I think the thing I miss most is just, you know, when, when you're the, the franchise quarterback and the starting quarterback, every single day, every second, every day, whether it's around your teammates and your press conference, around your coaches, uh, whatever the situation is, you just always have to be on. And, and, and you're representing and, and a brand, and you're representing um, your teammates when you're, when you're talking about them in the media and just all, all the things that come with that. All of a sudden you retire and you don't that I think, I think that's uh, what I've missed the most and, and that challenge of having to be on day in, day out, 
during the season, off the season. Because uh, now, you know, you wake up and once the kids go to school, you can kind of shut it off and, and don't have to be on at all now that now that I'm not playing. So that, that's that's probably the actual the actual game itself. And look, I, I, I understand physically, mentally, everything that goes into it, the stress and the duties and the demands of being the franchise quarterback. Did you have any temptation when you consider Josh McCown getting basically $10 million a year to be an assistant quarterback's coach in New York? Any temptation to maybe transition that way, not be a starter, make really good money, help a young guy learn the game and still be available to play if need be? No, because at the end of the day, for me, it was really a family decision. Uh, I've got four young kids, kind of in that, that golden era of, of, you know, two years old to nine years old. And uh, I, I had missed so much of, of when they were growing up and I was playing and I missed so many basketball practices and uh, school plays and ice skating competitions. And, you know, I, I just didn't want to miss it anymore. And, uh, you know, I know how valuable and how quickly it can go by. So uh, it really wasn't a, a, a physical decision um it was really a family decision and and it was just time for for me to transition into something else and and um be a bigger part of of their everyday lives and i've loved every second of it what do you think the something else will be to fill that professional void uh and also give you the balance where you can do the things that you want to do from a family standpoint yeah so i that that's been uh my focus these last i don't know nine months now um i looked at a bunch opportunities I, I went through the whole broadcasting thing and and got close to doing that um and just kind of took a couple steps back and realized you know i wanted to do something i really loved and and um i've always been just extremely fascinated in, in real estate so i've gone back to school I've, I've started taking classes online um just to learn um the investment side of real estate and and really just scholastically learn real estate i've been involved in, in so much over the years that i've never never studied it from a from a scholastic standpoint so right now i'm um, for about five hours a day taking some online classes actually from from mit which sounds really cool to say and sounds really smart the truth of it is anybody can get into their online program so it's, it's not as cool as it sounds but uh, i'm transitioning into hopefully a career in the real estate world and and right now just trying to learn as much as i can and and just get the verbiage down and, and the everyday lingo because there are, you know, that the real estate world is its own language. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm in a crash course and learning as much as I can right now. Well, and it's great you're doing that. This is what Chuck Noll, the Hall of Fame head coach, would call your life's work, that, that the football is temporary. And for a lot of guys, when football is gone, there's a void that they don't know how to fill. And it's good that you found something you can throw yourself into because, I mean, let's face it, even though from a football perspective, the window was closing, you still got a lot of years to live and it's good to have something productive to do. It doesn't matter whether you got the money taken care of or not. You want to have things to do day in and day out. So good on you for finding that to throw your time and effort into. Now, the last 15 years have flown by. I think back to 2003, the approach the Bengals took after you were the first overall pick, sit Carson Palmer for a year. During that year, how hard was it you for you to go along with that plan and, and essentially take a redshirt year and not play as a rookie? Well, it was hard just because I, I had never done anything like that from from fifth grade on. I mean, I, I, I was starting on offense and defense all the way up until the end of high school, and then all of a sudden, uh, you sit back and watch, and, and I played as a true freshman in college, so I, I just hadn't had that chance to, to view the game from that perspective. 
so it, it was it was good from from that aspect. I mean, it gave me a, a totally different visual of the game and watching somebody else beat a guy and watching somebody else, you know, lead meetings and 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 the Saturday night meet, Saturday night meeting with your teammates and and watching him talk in front of the team and uh, watching John Kitna the, the the time prepare on a, a Wednesday for an upcoming game on Sunday. Uh, just all the little things that I got to learn and sit back and see. It was frustrating at the time, but looking back now, 15, 16 years later, I realized how valuable that was and, and how instrumental uh, how instrumental that was in the rest of my career. We've got Josh Allen in his second NFL game getting a start for Buffalo. That news came out on Wednesday morning. What advice would you have for him, given that he's not going to have the benefit of sitting and waiting and learning and developing, and he's getting thrust right into it? Yeah, I was I – was, um when I saw AJ McCarron get traded and, and then them going with Peterman, I was a little bit worried just because Josh hasn't played a ton of football. Josh played a little bit in, in high school, a little bit in college against some lesser competition. And now uh, he's played in a couple preseason games. He, you know, he compared to a Baker Mayfield, uh, a Sam Darnold who have, you know, were, were great high school players, uh, played a ton of high school, went to college, played a bunch in college, you know, he just doesn't. Josh just doesn't have uh, that much experience in actual game play, so it, it worried me a little bit because I love the talent and and the ability and smarts and everything that he has. The one thing he doesn't have is just in-game experience. And now that that what happened after week one and, and him being thrust into it, uh, I just hope he, you know, everybody can be patient around him because the talent is there. I mean, the the arm talent, the physical attributes, he has everything you want in a quarterback except for the in-game experience. I, I just worry that, that people are going to judge week two through six uh, and look at it and, and, and try to predict the future for him because it, it's not what he does in week two through six. I, I think in, in 2025, when you look back, uh, you know you can look back at the end of this football season and, and see the player that he's going to be and really next year. But he, he just needs plays. He needs reps. He needs practice. He needs red zone sessions against against the starting defense in practice he needs third down sessions in practice against the starters um he's getting thrust in there early and and it's the situation it is um but i just hope people in in buffalo especially are are just patient with him and let him work through these probably early frustrating games and and let him develop into the player that he can be and you know one of the concerns the offensive line i think that's why he wasn't the week one starter where do you do you strike that balance between, you know, getting him reps and being patient, but also being worried that if he gets banged up too much, maybe maybe he gets ruined and it makes it harder for him to ever reach his full potential? Yeah, I mean, so the quarterback position is so circumstantial and, and so much of, of his progression and his success in the end is on the organization. Are they going to put the right players around him? Are they going to build the type of offensive line and run game that he's going to need? Are they going to throw him in there early and 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 you know be ready to to start using the the bust word on him if if things don't work out? Um, you know it, it's so dependent on everything around him uh, and then and then making you know making his transition into this game as smooth as possible. I don't think throwing him, throwing him in, into the wolves in week two is is great uh, for his his progression. Um, but I just hope that, that the organization understands the talent that they have, and I, and I think they do, uh, and how instrumental having the right backup and, and the right veteran around him and 
continuously building up his confidence because his confidence is going to get it's going to get shook. I mean, you, you saw them in week one. They're not ready to contend for a Super Bowl today. Uh, but he's the type of quarterback that you can you can build a Super Bowl team around if it's done the right way. Before I let you go, you had a comment back in 2009, a couple of months before the NFL finally had its epiphany about head injuries and began to try to make the game safer. You were participating in a quarterback roundtable with Peter King, and you said this. The truth of the matter is somebody is going to die here in the NFL. It's going to happen. Here today, nine years later, do you still believe that's inevitable? Well, I think the NFL has done such a great job of, of changing. I mean, you, you see deaths over the last handful of years at, at different levels from, from the college level and, and into high school. And um, we've all seen the stories on, on 60 Minutes and uh, all the different news outlets of, of people that have died playing football. And the NFL has done such a great job over the last handful of years, whether the fans like it or not. And there's there's been so much chatter about you know the the new rule that that uh, they implemented this year with with using the helmet. They're really trying to take the game uh, out of tackling with your helmet in your face, and and I think it's best for the game. It's best for the players because um, there was a while in, in 2006, seven, eight, nine, um, where the rules weren't as as stringent on, on on using your helmet and using your helmet as a weapon, and guys were having concussions day in day out in practice, in games. Uh, and it was getting really scary, but the NFL has, as we all know, has just absolutely cracked down on it and doing everything they can uh, to take the helmet out of it. And as absurd as, as it may be to some fans and, and even players, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you know, that, that are so frustrated with these new rules, they're really trying to, um, they're really trying to cut back on the concussions. They're trying to avoid, uh, you know, what, what I was talking about years ago with Peter King, where, where it could get really to the point where, you could see somebody take the kind of hit um, that they don't get back up from, and, and that's something that nobody wants to see. Well, Carson, we want to see and hear more from you. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about football. Hopefully we can do it again. Until then, I'll let you get back to matters of earnest money and title insurance as you continue to, to <laughs> learn a new lingo and become a master of real estate. And I'm sure if it's anything like your NFL career went, you're going to be uh, a huge success in your new world. I appreciate your time, and we look forward to talking to you down the road. Mike, thanks for having me. Make, make sure you're voting each week for your favorite NFL air, or FedEx NFL air and ground players each week. It's great money going to a great cause to our, uh, our retired servicemen and women. So thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Carson Palmer, for your time. And I look forward to talking to him again. I guess if he's going to be tied into this program all year long, this FedEx air and ground deal, they'll be making him available from time to time. And we'll take him whenever we can get him. I had a lot of other questions I wanted to get to with Carson. But, uh, you know, he's doing a lot of these today and he only had about 15 minutes. I like having about a half hour with guys. I'd love to have a full hour, but like with Chris Harris Jr., it was about a half hour. With Adrian Peterson, it was about a half hour. The key is catching them on an off day and getting someone who is willing to give you that half hour. Because when you've got limited time, and, and this is this is part of the problem of having both limited time and preparing. Because while the person's answering the question, your stress level goes up because you're looking at all the other stuff you want to get to and you're watching the clock. That happened to me with Carson Palmer. It's like, man, there's a lot of other shit I want to ask him. And I, I'm not going to get to it. So what do I do? What do I do? It's like, you know, when you've got a, uh, the, the balloon where, you know, it's weighted down. You got to throw stuff out of the balloon basket so the balloon goes high again. Do they still have those things, those balloons? Oh, they still have them, right? 
Does anybody actually use them for transportation? I mean, the last time they, that one was used for transportation was by the Wizard of Oz. It's just like, hey, let's go up and, and do this because we can. Anyway, if it's not flying, you throw stuff over and it, and it goes up. So that, that's how it's just it's this weird on the fly. Oh, man, I got it. This is a great question. I don't have time to ask it. Oh, that's a great question. I don't have time to ask it. So I like having a half hour. When you have a half hour, chances are you're going to get to everything you want to ask. And if you have an hour, man, it's just like, let's hang out and talk football. All right, answering some questions on Tour Forever. Are the Packers not saying anything about Aaron Rodgers' status because they don't want to tip their hands to the Vikings? I think he's seriously hurt and may not play this weekend. And I don't disagree with that. I don't know that they're worried about tipping their hand because I don't think the Vikings are worried about facing Deshaun Kaiser. I think what's going to happen is Kaiser's going to end up practicing all week, and it's going to be Aaron Rodgers on Sunday unless he really does have an injury that just will not allow him to play. But, you know, we've heard stories in the past of these heroic rehab efforts where guys are, are never sleeping a full night because they have to get up every three hours to do whatever it is that they're doing, whatever whatever physical therapy is at their house around the clock. I remember Russell Wilson went through that a few years ago trying to rehab an MCL sprain. So, yeah, I, I think that, that this is the Packers trying to do everything they can to help Aaron Rodgers get healthy, healthy enough to play. And they just don't feel compelled to share with us any information. And and here's the thing. At a time when there are so many people out there whose job it is to get to this information, no one can get to it. No one. That's amazing to me. Because I guarantee a Shefty and Rappaport and this person and that person, they're all, they're all chasing this. All chasing it. And no one's gotten it yet. And maybe Sunday, you know what's going to happen? Sunday morning, someone's going to say that that uh, Rodgers will or won't play. Or, or maybe the report will be he's going to go through pregame warm-ups and then they're going to decide. That, that was week two last year with Sam Bradford when he had that knee injury that we didn't know about. At least we know about Rodgers. With Sam Bradford last year, we didn't know about it until it showed up on the injury report. And I remember that first Wednesday when the injury reports came out going into week two and Bradford was on it and I wrote a story about it and all these Vikings fans were like, oh, oh shut up, you're full of shit. He's not injured. That's that's just, you know, they have to disclose that stuff. He's fine. Yeah, he was fine, all right. But that was one of those pregame warm-ups where, uh-oh, he's not playing, and it's Case Keenum, and Vikings fans are like, Case Keenum, oh, God, the season's over. Yeah. So maybe Deshaun Kaiser can do something. Maybe. At the Real Forno, Vikings Twitter is in an uproar over a Green Bay writer saying their defensive line was better than the Vikings. Do you think they have an advantage in any position group other than quarterback and offensive line? I I think it's hard to tell how good that defense is because I don't know how much the performance of the defense in recent years has been the fault of the players versus the fault of the scheme. I think the Vikings have the better defense at all three levels, though. Offensively? I don't know. I'd say the offensive line is a push. When you have a mobile quarterback, it makes an offensive line look better than it is. And I think that was one of the deceptions last year involving the Vikings and Case Keenum. When that park pocket started to go, he would bail. When Kirk Cousins has to bail out of the pocket, it's not pretty. I said the other day on PFT Live, it's like a wounded raccoon running from a pack of dogs at that point. It just, it's, you know it just isn't going to work. We're going to have a lot of those sacks this year in Minnesota where they see Cousins trying to, like, awkwardly run away from the pocket and he's not going to be able to get away. He just doesn't have that same mobility that Keenum has. So uh, I, I don't know. I think I think the Vikings, without obviously without Aaron Rodgers, it's not even close. 
if Aaron Rodgers plays, he's so much better than any other quarterback out there other than Tom Brady that it's enough. We saw it. We saw it. 20 to nothing. We saw it happen. And I was stunned that Aaron Rodgers wasn't the NFC Offensive Player of the Week. And I was stunned that Khalil Mack wasn't. But I, I remember when I when I talked to Harrison Smith and Ryan Fitzpatrick on Sunday afternoon, I said to each of them, well, you're going to win the NFC Player of the Week. One offense, one defense. And not that they care what I think. But I was right. And I thought I'd be wrong after Sunday night. But Rodgers should have been the Offensive Player of the Week. That's one of the great performances of all time. And he doesn't win the Offensive Player of the Week. I think even Ryan Fitzpatrick would say, but I don't really feel right getting this. At Black 88 Elite, will Des Bryant land anywhere soon? I, I remember being told a few weeks ago that Des Bryant is in no hurry. Des Bryant was not offered the kind of package from Cleveland that he wanted. It was less than $5 million in hard dollars for 2018. And so he waits. He was entertaining on Sunday on Twitter, but he doesn't need the money. And I think the smart move for him is sign with someone around Thanksgiving, get up to speed, treat December as August, and be ready to go for the postseason. Go have an impactful postseason with a contending team, maybe chase a ring, and become a free agent in March and get paid. I think that's his play. Sergio D., can the Steelers still rescind Le'Veon Bell's franchise tag? What could the Steelers do to have maximum damage on Bell's chances to play with another team this year? or have him sit out the year and earn the least amount of money possible. The Steelers really can't do anything at this point to hurt Le'Veon Bell. They could rescind the tender from him and say, hey, you're not going to get $855,000 a week with anyone else. Good luck. But I think when Khalil Mack got $23.5 million from a team that also gave up a pair of first-round draft picks, I think that convinced Le'Veon Bell, I'll still get paid. Someone will pay me big money to join their team for the balance of this year. The play for Le'Veon Bell is making it to the open market in March. Healthy. That's why he's giving up 855 gross a week, probably 450 net. And the argument that I've been making, and I don't I I don't know that I've had a chance to really explain it without having to worry about a clock. But because when you gotta worry about a clock, it's like, hey, get, get, let's go, let's go. Oh, break's coming up, gotta go, gotta go, gotta go. I think what Bell is doing is treating the money that he's not making as sort of like an insurance premium, right? Instead of writing the check, you don't get the check. So it's 450 that you're, air quotes, paying per week to preserve the ability to get that giant contract in free agency because he's concerned about overuse. And see, if he stayed away from week one because he's concerned that he's going to be overutilized by the Steelers, that same concern applies week two. That same concern applies week three. That same concern applies week four. And so on until the deadline, the real deadline under the CBA of reporting and signing the franchise tender before the Tuesday after week 10. And the one thing that could get him to show up. And I just don't think the Steelers are wired to do anything to entice him to show up. It would be Coach Mike Tomlin talking to Le'Veon Bell saying, Le'Veon, now that James Conner has shown that he can play, we won't overutilize you. We won't give you the ball 36 times a game. We'll split the carries between you and James Conner. The problem is if James Conner gets injured, then it's back to Le'Veon Bell 36 times a game. So if he wants to avoid 
being treated like a rental car with free insurance. He just needs to stay away as long as possible. And then, because you have to show up in order to get the credit for this contract year toward next year so you can become a free agent, then that's what you do. You show up. And, and I also think this. If James Conner continues to play at a high level, maybe Le'Veon Bell says, you know what, I'm not showing up at all. Because next year, they're not going to apply the tag to me again at $14.5 million. And if they do, they'll trade me. Because they don't want to deal with this again. Now, that's a hell of a risk. Because this may be a situation where the Steelers' stubbornness and the Steelers' desire to always let the players know who's boss. That may overcome their desire to get something for him immediately. But I think the smart move by the Steelers would be trade Le'Veon Bell if he doesn't show up at all and they tag him again next year. Trade him out from under the tag. But here's the reality. A team is going to pay you more on the open market than they're going to pay if they have to trade something for you because that draft pick they give up for you has value. That's why I say all the time, what what, what would Khalil Mack have gotten if the Bears didn't have to give up two first-round picks? Would, would he have gotten $30 million a year? So I think that, that it's going to be very difficult for Bell to not show up by the Tuesday after week 10. But there's a chance he won't. He'll just say, I'm sitting out all year. See you later. And the one thing we know, if he doesn't show up by the Tuesday after week 10, we won't see him again because by rule he can't play for anyone after that for the rest of the season. But the Steelers, until he signs the franchise tender, they can rescind it. Reportedly they won't. But you know what? For the same reason that on any given day Le'Veon Bell can show up, on any given day, the Steelers can say, we've had enough of this. They took him off the depth chart yesterday, right? Was that an effort to put the squeeze on him in some weird sort of way? Or was that a manifestation of how they're feeling about Le'Veon Bell? Like, you know what? Let's just move on. Well, we're better off moving on. Because think about this. When he does show up, right, wherever the Steelers are in the standings, whatever they're trying to do, and with seven games left, they'll still have the ability to make the playoffs or not make the playoffs. They're not going to be done by then. And they're not going to have a spot clinched by then. Do you really want the distraction that comes from Le'Veon Bell showing up, going back into a locker room that has teammates that, that got between him and his money? You have a guy showing up who doesn't want 30 carries a game, who may have hamstring problems, who may have concussion-like symptoms. Do you really want that? And I have to give Le'Veon Bell some credit because he could show up now and make 855 gross per week and... And say, oh, my hamstrings bothered me. Or say, I have a headache. How do you disprove someone has a headache? How do you disprove someone has dizziness? How do you prove that someone is lying when they say they have concussion-like symptoms? That's one way he can protect himself. See, that's what he could have done. Instead of having his agent go on radio last week and say he's concerned about overuse, just show up. And if you feel like they're using you too much, oh, man. Boy, my hamstring. Oh, it's really tight. I'm not sure I can play this week. Oh, you know, I, I feel like I feel like I can't focus. I, I I got I got my bell rung on Sunday. I got I took a helmet to helmet hit, and and man, I don't know that I can play this week. And you just do that. You get through 17 weeks, and there comes all your money in 2019. I I respect him for not playing that game because he could have easily played that game, and there isn't much the Steelers could have done about it. Steph Boyardee, should I over or underreact about my Dolphins win? Seven hours, that's longer than most DiCaprio movies. Yeah, it's a weird day. But the bottom line is the Dolphins won. I thought they'd win. It was a bad day for the Titans because they emerged with a bunch of injuries. Delaney Walker done for the year. Marcus Mariota has this elbow slash shoulder thing. But I'd feel good about it. And, and what, what a game this weekend. 
Dolphins, Jets. Jets had that great win. Jets may be feeling good about themselves. People still look down at the Dolphins. Dolphins can put everyone on notice if they could stick it to the Jets this weekend. Steph Boyardee, be honest. How much junk food have you had today? I, junk food? What's junk? What, what really is junk food? There's no such thing as junk food. I'm not eating junk. It's in Sanford and Son. I had some potato chips. I had some, and you know what? I After I woke up from my nap, my wife's got these dark chocolate chunks that you would ordinarily use for baking, you know, like in cookies, private selection. That's just like fancy Kroger brand. It's funny. Like we, we, we shop at the local Kroger and instead of put, like, putting the, the, you know, like big K or whatever that crap is that they sell in house, the generic stuff, they call it private selection. So it's fancy. So you don't, you don't feel as pathetic buying the house brand. Oh, it's private selection. Well, that's different. Kroger brand. No, it's not Kroger brand. It's private selection. Uh, it's Kroger brand in a nice package. Yeah. Look right next to it. The special K chocolate chips. It's the same thing. The big K special. You know what I'm saying? Private selection. So that was the junk food. Is that junk food though? 62%? Uh, whatever that word is. C-A-C-A-O. Never know how to pronounce it. Looks like caca to me. 70 calories per, uh, per serving. I don't know how many were left in here, but I tell you this, I dusted the bag and now I got to like hide the bag because, uh, if, if the empty bag is spotted, I'm busted for uh, finishing the 62% dark chocolate chunks, private selection, 62%. Highly recommended. Very good. Very good. Nice little snack. Um, the sugar high is starting to wear off, though, so I should probably wrap this up. Let's see what else we have here. Gong Show West, it's easy to overact to a team's week one performance, but on the flip side of that, what team's performance do you think is the most accurate depiction of their results for the next 16 games? I'd say the Cowboys' offense. Because it all of a sudden isn't going to get any better. And it's very meat and potatoes. And I think there's a lot of stubbornness on the coaching staff, as evidenced by the fact that, oh, I don't know, last year when they were playing the Falcons, and Dak Prescott was getting sacked over and over and over again by Adrian Claiborne. They didn't do anything to change. It's a weird, it's a weird mindset. Look, I, I got a lot of respect for what Jason Garrett's done in the NFL, but man, that inflexibility is weird, man. That's weird. You got to be flexible and creative if you want to be a successful NFL coach, and it's not all that hard. Be, be confident in your ability to come up with some new plays, some new approaches, some new personnel grouping, some different things. Put your guys in position to succeed. Move your guys around. One of the reasons Des Bryant's gonna have a hard time getting ensconced with a new team, he was in that X position and nowhere else for eight years in the same offense. The offense doesn't grow, it doesn't evolve, it doesn't change, it's not creative. God forbid Troy Aikman will point out it's not creative. And if anybody knows, it's going to be Troy Aikman. So I don't know, I have a feeling there's going to be a, a sluggish Dallas offense. It's going to need its defense to win football games. On tour forever, have you heard anything about when we will see the Colin Kaepernick collusion case in open court? Will it be a legal issue that compels NFL owners and Goodell to show up? Here's the thing, we're never going to see it in open court. I, I said after the ruling from a few weeks ago that there will be an eventual arbitration hearing, I said, boy, this has the potential to be a combination of the My Cousin Vinny trial and the Seinfeld finale. This is great. It's going to be who's who of witnesses, and they're going to get torn up on cross-examination. They're going to contradict each other. They're going to contradict themselves, but it's not going to play out in open court, unfortunately. I'd be there. There's a gif of a guy with a big, giant garbage bag full of popcorn in his lap. That's what I would be. Just, just like fistfuls of popcorn. It would be great. Now, the next best thing is going to be the transcripts, because I guarantee you the transcripts will be available. But you could argue Colin Kaepernick's already won his collusion case by forcing the NFL 
to defend itself in a full-blown hearing. And I really do believe from everything I've heard and also from talking to Mark Leibovich, the author of Big Game, a book that you should be getting and reading, that the NFL really thought it was going to win that motion for summary judgment, that they would be able to go in and puff out their chest and say there's no evidence of collusion. Here's the thing. And I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole because I really do want to wrap this up and let you get on with your day. And more importantly, let me get on with my day. But uh, the collusion continues. Think about this. And set aside how you feel about Colin Kaepernick. Think about this. Do you believe that a team out there that was thinking about adding Colin Kaepernick would do so without checking with the league office first? Yes or no? If you think that a team would feel compelled to check with the league office before signing Colin Kaepernick, that is evidence of collusion. The fact that a team would think that it has to check with the league office. These are 32 businesses that are supposedly in free competition for the best players possible. And the only rules governing player acquisition are set forth in the CBA. And there is no rule thou shalt check with the league office before signing a guy that the league office doesn't like. The fact that anyone would even pause... That's evidence of collusion. And also retaliation. So many people think that it's okay for an employer to retaliate against someone who sues them. It's not okay. Some of the best cases I ever had when I was representing people who were discriminated against and otherwise treated improperly by their employers, it was the second lawsuit. That one of the gutsiest things for any employee to do is sue the employer while still employed because you become a pariah instantly. Your friends don't like you anymore. Your, your co-workers look at you differently. Management talks about you in a bad way behind your back. And, and it goes against the entire culture of team that these, that these companies try to project. But you have every right to do it. If you have a valid legal claim, you have every right to make it in court. And it's the retaliation that happens after the fact it becomes much more tangible and easier for a jury to understand. And I, I wonder at what point the Colin Kaepernick collusion grievance gets amended to include a claim for retaliation for bringing valid grievances against the employers. Maybe they're holding that one in their back pocket for federal court. Maybe there will be something in open court. Maybe that's something that doesn't fall under the confines of the collective bargaining agreement. Because if he's not employed, he's not under the collective bargaining agreement, right? Wouldn't that be the argument? He's not an employee now. You know, the collusion is something that is banned by the CBA. Now that he's been out for over a year, at some point you're not in the union anymore because you're not actively playing. You're not under the auspices of the protection of the CBA. You could file a lawsuit in federal court claiming illegal retaliation. So I think this one's going to hang around for a while. Paul PJ5, what do you think of the Walter Payton Man of the Year patch on jerseys? I like the idea, but the patch is hideous. I like the patch. I think it's great. Anyone who's ever won the Walter Payton Man of the Year award has that patch. I like it. I like it a lot. At Charles Dismooks, was the Bucks O-line that good, or is the Saints pass rush that bad? It's hard to tell based on one week. It may just be that Ryan Fitzpatrick making quick decisions, getting rid of the football, getting just enough time, but that offensive line looked better than it's been in recent years. And I think the Saints just believed they were going to show up and win this game easily. I think there's something to be said for that mindset. Oh, this is an easy one. Jameis Winston's gone. This is a bye week in week one. Fittis and Kane, could the NFL's seemingly relaxed policy on substance abuse be an olive branch to the union in anticipation of the Kaepernick case and or the new CBA? No, I think they're doing it because they understand the value of having good players on the field, period. 
NFL whip around. How many glasses of soy milk does the posse consume on a daily basis? I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Maybe I'm missing something. Double dumbass. How's your fantasy team doing? I was double dumbass this weekend. I lost both games. Not that anyone cares. Gears of Ted, which new head coach is the most likely to be one and done? You know, it, you don't see a lot of one and done, although it does happen. When it happens, people are like, oh, my God, the guy only coached one year. Well, it isn't a completely unrealistic phenomenon, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. None of them are standing out at this point as being potentially one and done. That's an extreme outcome, and I think a lot of it is also driven by an owner who thinks there's an instant upgrade out there that the owner knows the team can get now. That fuels a one and done. It's not just we got to get rid of this guy, but it's we got somebody else and the window is open to get that person now. Go, 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 get him now. All right. I think I should wrap it up. Thank you for your time. That's an hour. I think I've done it. I don't know when I did an hour last. I don't know. The past 12 days have been a blur. Thanks to Carson Palmer for his time. Looking forward to talking to him again. Looking forward to talking to you. A lot of times on Thursday, I don't do it. I think we're going to do it tomorrow. I think I am. We'll see. We uh, Maybe we'll find somebody to talk to. Maybe we'll talk about some of the some of the games, go through the games. I don't know if, uh, I don't know if Florio Jr. is going to be down here Friday. I think he may be, though. His birthday is Saturday. And... Last Friday, he came home for a few hours, and we did the podcast. Maybe he'll come down and do it. I know he enjoys doing it, and uh, he was happy to do it again last Friday and go through the games. Um, I need to keep a list of, of who we pick because I think that I got some right that, that he didn't, and he probably got some right that I didn't. But uh, that was fun with him, and and uh, and he enjoys it. He's in the Fantasy Football League with the, uh, the PFTPM Posse. I've, I've warned him about, you know, some of you guys with uh, your, your uh, medicinal habits may be a bad influence, but uh, be careful. Be, 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 do not corrupt my son any more than I've already corrupted him. Have a great day. PFT Live tomorrow. Chris Sims in studio for two hours. And as always, around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Enjoy your Wednesday. We'll talk Thursday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.